Diego and you're eating a microwave burrito? The fuck I got a taco shop three minutes from me and I'm eating a microwave burrito. All right, are we recording it yet, Dylan? <laughs> yeah, I started it because this is good All shit. Right. <laughs> All right, <laughs> I'll do my intro. We, 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 no, we can get growing <laughs> on this. Welcome back to Within Tolerance. I'm your host, Dylan Jackson of Protein Machining, and this week I am joined by the Machinist Roundtable crew. Go ahead and introduce yourselves, guys. All right, all right. Well, well, I guess I'm, I'm back on here for the one millionth time for some reason. But yeah, it's Easton from Morio Manufacturing, I guess, right here. Drew, go. All right, I'm Drew with Drew Fab, the the lone ugly guy. It's okay. Right, we're not is, recording video. Oh, that's this good. Is, uh, that's good for the audience. God damn it, Drew. This is Jake at Yates Precision. Well, welcome back, guys. It is wonderful to see you all. I know we've been talking about doing this since like November of last year. And since then, a lot of big things have happened. So we've been busy. So let's get into it. Um, yeah, well, at least one of us remembers what the last time we recorded was. I was like thinking in the shower this morning. I was like, when did we last record? I have no idea what has changed since. I, kind I, think of I missed the last one, didn't I? Yeah, yeah I, think I think you, you did. did. Yeah. You were on that so grind just, finishing off yeah. at the day job. Yeah. So yeah, Jake, why don't we jump into you? You've got new machines, a brand, you know, you've got uh, a whole new job. Let's get into it. Yeah. So I guess a couple things have changed. I'm trying to think. So I had the Sagami last time or didn't? No. I think you did. Right. Did, did you? Or right. maybe you had just gotten it. Yeah. You just gotten it because we were talking about the, uh, the Royal Chuck and everything like that. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, I guess if you've seen on Instagram, Sagami's up and running and just finished like a 27-hour run. And right now it's working on a four-straight-day run. So it should finish up Monday if everything goes to plan. And these are just job shop parts. And then over my left shoulder is a new Haas that's waiting to be installed. Actually, it's waiting on me to get power and air to it so it can be installed. So it's a duplicate machine to this vf2 ss that's sitting right behind me same setup same chick work holding same rotary i think the only thing different about this machine is it's going to have the touch screen understand correctly and i don't know how i feel about that drew your machine doesn't have a touch screen does it no it doesn't i was actually slightly disappointed because they told me it might <laughs> yeah i think not when I ordered necessarily one of them just wanted to try it yeah, when I ordered my last one, they were like, yeah, it might have it. Well, it didn't have it, but so this one supposedly does. Yeah, I'm now full-time out here in the shop starting January 3rd was my first day out here. So far, myself, my kids are still eating regularly, so we've been able to afford that at least. Yeah, and I think that's, that's about it. we got a ton of work coming through the shop. Still not enough time in the day. I thought, you know, I'd get out here full-time and... I'd have all this extra time to do cool projects. Well, no, that's not true. I yeah, that's like the biggest it. lie of like that you tell yourself when you go full time. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, oh, I'll have so much time now, and then you're like, no, never mind, definitely don't. Same time or less. Yeah, you quickly fill that time up with other shit that is still not cool projects or shop improvement projects like I'd like. So yeah, but uh, no, we're busy and. Or you get out here, I get out here generally at like 8.30 in the morning because I see my kids off to preschool and help get them ready. And then I blink and it's like 4.30 and I'm like, well, I didn't, I didn't get anything done that I wanted to get done today, but whatever. Nah, it's good. Do you uh, ever get anything done that you want to get done? Because I don't. So my to-do list is like probably like 40 things long and 
I might get one thing done per day, but I'll add like oh, six more way. to the end, six more to the end of it. So yeah. that's about what happens. Yeah, that sounds, sounds about right. Yeah. I, yeah. A quick side note: I'm actually really impressed that the uh, the Sugami is running behind you, and we can't hear it. Or yeah, sorry, actually, in front of you. Yeah, it's in, directly um, in front of me. It's I was really worried about that machine because it's it's a it's a motor spindle, right? Correct. Yes. It's yeah, so it is fairly really quiet. quiet. Yeah. Yeah, the loudest part is probably when changes bars and all that jazz. But yeah, it's it's sure. pretty quiet. So on this run, so I'm assuming you're you finally must have figured out since the last time we talked how to use your uh, IAMCA. I still have not figured out how to use mine. So on that guy, so it turns are you dropping the remnant into the conveyor or are you going to the parts catcher? So on this part, I'm just dropping the remnant into the conveyor, but I now know how to do both and it's actually quite simple and to get the bar feeder to work is actually like really easy once you kind of know how to do it so i'm kind of i feel dumb because i let it sit there for so long without being used but no it's <laughs> it's actually pretty easy I'll, I'll definitely have to pick your brain at some point about how to use mine i'm i'm not in like any huge rush to use mine still especially now that i've got the the 12 foot feeder on the citizen which I was kind of forced to figure out uh, the second I turned that machine on. <laughs> um, but <laughs> well, yeah. let's get yeah, into let, it then. You know. both, everyone else has gotten lathes in the meantime as well. So either Drew or Easton, you guys talk about your new machine as well. I'll, I'll let Drew go first because I want to hear. I want to hear about this Akuma. So, for those of you that didn't follow it on Instagram, I picked up an Akuma lathe from. Tony Clouser, thank you, Tony. Tony's been immensely helpful. I've bothered him more than I care to admit. Him and, and Clayton, MX Pimp, both them guys have been super helpful getting and Easton. Like so, Tony and Clayton have been how to run an Akuma. Easton's been everything else, <laughs> all of the tooling, feeds and speeds, <laughs> like everything that I need to know has been in, come from other people because. I know how to make things on a manual lathe kind kind of okay, but I don't know how to use any anything on a CNC lathe or didn't anyway. So got it from Tony, got it shipped down here. I spent like, I don't know. Well, so kind of funny. The machine came the day before Sarah went into labor. So that was cool. That was convenient timing. You got <laughs> so two new babies machine. at the same time. I did. I did. One significantly older than myself, actually. We set the machine on the ground, and then she went into labor the next day. And so I didn't touch it for like, I don't know, or maybe two days later, something like that. I don't remember what day it got here, but it was in that ballpark. And so I didn't touch it for like two weeks. And then we fired it up, and I had a phase cross, so we fixed that. And then I had this weird spindle lube error, and it took me like a literal week to figure out what caused that, because nobody knew what er what caused it. I did a bunch of Googling. There's a, it was the gearbox. There's a lube sensor in the gearbox, and that was what was throwing it. So I filled it up with oil, and then it all leaked out. So that was fun. <laughs> um, so then I had the bright idea of let's let's spin this thing up. Let's get enough oil in it so it'll turn on and it'll spin up, and let's get it warmed up like a car. I've done this with like tail shaft seals all the time. So that way, like a lot of times, Dylan, I'm sure you've done this too, when you've got a leaky tail shaft seal or whatever and something. If you drive it, sometimes it'll seal up. This is a sometimes thing. I don't know the time thing. Yep. So we did that. I've been running it and spinning it. And after three or four days, the leak was more or less gone. So I put more oil in it and popped it off and haven't touched it since. 
So that's been kind of cool. Unlike Jake Sugami, it sounds like an F-16 running in the shop all the time. And that's mostly because the fan on the back of the motor runs all the time. And literally, I kid you not, probably is like 95 decibels. It's just outrageously loud. But if I could... It, it does kind of drive me nuts. The, the hydraulic pump's a little noisy, but the fan is by far the loudest. And then uh, at about 15,000 or 15,000, 1,500 RPM, I shit myself because it sounds like it's going to enter orbit. So I have kept it under 1,500 RPM because uh, that's just terrifying beyond that. So I'm comfortable there. How big's the chuck? Uh, but made some parts. I made, made some. It's Well, it's only a single spindle, but it's a 10-inch on it. So And it's got the dual turrets. Which the, the twin turret thing is kind of cool, but it's made other things challenging. Like you have to hand it back and forth. There's uh, P codes and like a G13 and G14 for upper turret versus lower turret. And then there's P codes to hand work back and forth uh, uh, without it yep. synchronizing. So like you have to tell one, go park yourself and fucking stay there until I'm done. And then I'm going to go do my thing and then go back and okay, now you're up kind of thing. Yeah, so, so, it's, so like weight codes. That's been a little tricky. Yeah, it's been a little tricky. But I'm getting the hang of it, kind of. So I'm I'm doing like 70% fusion post, and then I'll hand edit the rest of the way. The the fusion post doesn't do drilling correctly. It posts a G181 instead of a G74, I think. So I have to go hand edit that every time. But that should be not, an easy fix. Most of the post. stuff's not a big deal. It should be. I just haven't dicked with it yet because it's it's like it takes me two minutes to edit at the machine too. So it's I haven't worried about it too much. Yeah, so. it's. A- can cycles for drilling honestly it's a i don't know if this is a unpopular opinion or not but i feel like can cycles for drilling are kind of useless like i'd rather it just post out longhand even for like peck drilling and things like that i just i don't want it as a can cycle it's yeah. it's difficult for it to like come out correctly and things like that so i i've been meaning i switched my miano post a long time ago to not use can cycles for drilling and I need to figure out how to get my, my, my Nakamura post is really weird. I tried to do the same thing in that post and I couldn't get it to work because then it would post up tapping longhand, which oh. obviously doesn't work. Oh, that doesn't work. <laughs> oh. That's not good. And so I, I've just, I have not really dealt with that. Like what I'll do if I have like a really weird program where I have like tapping in one part of it, but I need pack drilling in the other. I post it out like once with cycles turned off and once with cycles turned on and then compile the two code. Just so does it just do it as feed moves then? Like G1 yeah. and Z0 then? Yeah, because like, that way it's just like it's easy to I edit like, and things like that. I like can cycles if you're drilling a lot of the same hole, right? So if you're drilling a hundred of the same hole and you find out you want to change your depth or your retract, you only have to do it once versus a right. hundred different times. But yeah, I use longhand on the Mazak because the Mazak lathe doesn't like can cycles for whatever reason. Or when they bought it, they didn't pay for can cycles. So I, I have it post out longhand there. Oh, so, so here's a funny thing, speaking of can cycles and drilling. So it took me like a solid week to figure out that when I was posting the can, the drilling can cycle, it was changing it from inch per rev to inch per minute. And it was feeding at like the speed of smell. I'm like, what is going on? I've changed this. And uh, it took me a literal week to find out what was going on. That sounds like a classic like mill guy going to a lathe, just assuming <laughs> everything is going to still be an inch or is going to be an inch per rev. 
but it's, yeah. <laughs> drilling is usually done as inch per minute on leads. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, that was funny. I, I found the code and I was like, oh, that's what's going on. <laughs> that's bizarre. So, yeah. Easton, tell us about your new purchase. Yeah, Actually, so. Yeah, what, yeah, that was I was trying to remember if you had the knock, but you did have the knock last time. Yeah, so I think so about I don't know, November ish of last year, I really started to get a couple jobs that were like extremely high production to the point where it was getting a little uncomfortable the number of parts I was making. I was making like I don't know, one, two thousand parts a week for one of my customers. And they're just small little like aluminum parts. And so I was getting like pretty swamped with that and started looking around pretty seriously for like a, a used Swiss lathe. And there's this auction that came up for, uh, it was about I don't know, an hour and a half from me where they were selling off about seven or eight citizen like L20s um, and a couple of L32s. They were in really rough shape. It looked like, I mean, it's the classic like shop in Wisconsin kind of thing where it's just like they do everything in their power to keep making money and they don't really care about maintenance. So the machines were just like brown on the inside from whatever oil they were running. And it just, the paint was stripped off of them. And it ended up being one of those things where I was like, they, they were at an auction where they were, their starting bid was like $200. So I was thinking to myself, maybe I'll pick one of these up for like, I don't know, 2,500 bucks or something like that to get started kind of thing. So I'm, I'm asking around, I'm, I'm doing the same thing as Drew. I'm bothering the, uh, bothering everyone and bothering Danny, bothering, uh, and then ended up starting to bother Ian Schoen from Schoen Design Pens. And he was like, I'm telling him about the fact that I'm looking at a auction and he goes, oh, you mean the one in Milwaukee? Uh, so he knew of the exact auction and he's like, don't buy any of those. Those machines look super rough. Like <laughs> you don't know what they need parts wise. He's like, I already looked at that one. So he's got a whole bunch of used Swiss lathes and, uh, he goes, I'll tell you what I've got. I think he said five or seven new or like new used machines coming in. He had, he's like, I don't have room for all of them. So I'll sell you one of my L6, or he goes, I'll sell you both of my L16s. And I was like trying to figure out initially if that made sense, because I really wanted an L20 to have that little bit extra power capacity. I ended up saying yes. And then I ended up saying, actually, I can only take one. I really don't have room for two 30 foot long lathes. And so I took one, which came with a parts machine. So I bought that off of him. I got it probably mid-December and took me... A little bit to get it set up and shipped over here and everything like that. I had to rearrange pretty much the entire shop. The only machine I didn't move was the Nakamura. It was it was actually kind of fun getting to figure out how to move machines myself. So now I have a set of skates and some things. So I was able to, I brought the Speedio across the room, brought the Miano down, moved a lot of stuff. Because unfortunately the L16 fully assembled, I think is about 28 feet long. Because what it is, is it's the machine itself is, I think, only about seven-ish feet long. And then the whole bar feeder is, it, since it's a 12-foot bar feeder, I think the bar feeder plus the push rod ends up being at about 20, like 22 or 23 feet long. And so 
kind of got all of that assembled, got to learn how to properly align a 12 foot bar. I somehow actually managed to get that aligned correctly and I'm not getting any bar whip at the moment. I, I ran some parts that were out of quarter inch bar. So it was a 12 foot long quarter inch bar inside of like a one inch diameter channel. And I wasn't getting any whip just because it's, it's, it's a FMB hydrostatic bar feeder. The kind of the details on the machine, at least, I guess, is it's a, it's a Citizen L16 from, I think, 1991. So it's a pretty old machine. It looks like a hey, old fax machine. It's not that yeah. old. <laughs> well, it's older. It's, it's older than me. So it's, it, it looks like a fax machine because it's. It's brown, brown and cream with like this bubble made out of like polycarb. It, it's in really, really good mechanical shape. It's got a 10,000 RPM main spindle and like a 3,600 RPM sub spindle. I haven't taken it over 6,000 because I'm a little afraid to take it over that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's scary. It's got, let's see, it is a rotary guide bushing. It's got two live tools on the gang. Uh, four front working tools, two back working tools, sorry, three front working tools, two back working tools, and four gang turn tools. So it's pretty basic axis configuration. I think it ends up being a five plus two axis machine, essentially, because I do have indexing on both the main spindle and the sub spindle, but no full C axis. Um, programming it has been a huge learning curve. It's a little bit of a nightmare because it's, it's my first Mitsubishi control, it's hand programming, and you everything happens simultaneously. So your sub spindle is working at the exact same time as the main spindle. The transfer happens practically instantaneously, because it spits out the part, sits and waits in the transfer position, and then comes in and grabs the part right as it's finishing the main on the main side. But it's, um. it's been a very productive machine. It's already made, I think, 3,000 parts since, like, beginning of January. Oh, that's awesome. I thought I was doing good at 100 parts. <laughs> Sorry, are you 100% hand programming it, or are you outputting from Fusion and then hand stitching together? Oh, I'm, I'm doing more than 100% hand programming. I'm 100% hand programming at the control. Holy shit. Oh, nice. I, haven't figured, nice. I haven't figured out how to transfer programs to it yet. So I have a cable that Ian gave me. And the cable mm. should connect to my laptop, but doesn't. And I know the cable's good. And I know the parameters are good because they're literally what Ian was using like two days before he packed and shipped the machine to me because he was like sending me videos of him setting up and programming the first part that I needed made. I mean, again, huge shout out to Ian for uh, all of his help and, and Danny's help. Both of those guys are probably have that like just sigh of like not wanting to deal with it when right. ever they get a message again. from me <laughs> and uh, they've been awesome and answered all of my questions at this point. I'm trying to contact them less and less as I keep going, but it's, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't figured out how to transfer the programs yet. So what I, what I currently do is you, you people always talk about like the sneaker net where they use the USB stick. What I do is I program it on my computer. I print out hard physical copies of the code onto Gosh. printer paper, staple it, walk <laughs> over the machine and type it in, crossing off each line as I go through it to make sure I'm not like missing anything. Proofread it. on your computer and you're then trying to it. use to send it. I think it was Remo DNC or something like that. Okay. 
I use Simcoe. I don't know. I, I, I'm going to figure Mori it out. The but... I'm sure I can figure it out. I just haven't, I haven't bothered to at this point. I mean, if for the most part, the programs are very similar to each other. And the Mitsubishi control is surprisingly really powerful. So I can copy an entire program inside the control nice. and then change the part program number. So I can, I copy an existing program and then just change the sections that I need to. But the actual subspinal transfer and things like that are, are usually pretty similar. It's just whenever I have to like add a section of code or something like that, it's, it's really not that bad to be hand programming at the control. Obviously not something I want to be continuing to do, but it, it's, it's definitely going to happen. And, and they, the control does some, it, there's some serious differences. Like people always tell you that there's differences between Swiss machining and like regular machining or regular like CNC lathe machining. It, it's, it's as if like at a certain convergence point, they just completely separated from each other and they're nothing alike. It's, it's kind of wild. It's like the, the machine handles a lot more of things than you'd actually expect the machine to be doing on like a normal CNC lathe. There's this whole separate program beyond the like G code called like MC data, which has your bar diameter, all your retract planes and everything in that. So that's not actually handled by the G code for the most part. And then there's like weird things. Like there are kind of pretty much no tool offsets. Like tools are just kind of where they are and then you compensate them in the and it's in the program with like g50 w offsets and it's pretty bizarre and that was like a huge learning curve of figuring out how to do that where you're just incrementing the work offset of where your bar is located compared to your gang slide and i i think i like maybe 51 percent understand it now but yeah i don't know it's I, i'm coming up on my fifth job i'm gonna start programming this afternoon on it awesome that's great so we had a few questions from ben at fort manufacturing on the patreon and the first ones were for jake he was really curious about how many phase converters you have for all your machines what size and amp and uh, how many amps of single phase service do you have to your shop so this is interesting because I had three people ask me that today. So I guess <laughs> a, a hot topic. I have one phase converter. It's a American Rotary ADX 60, just a 60 horsepower converter. I, the shop has its own 200 amp service and I've hmm. been running all four machines pretty consistently for the last couple weeks with no issues whatsoever. So I'm confident that it's going to be able to handle this fifth machine, the Haas. And if for whatever reason I run into an issue, if for whatever reason I run into an issue, I'll just won't run the Mazak or the Mori or whatever at the same time. So, so, but I don't foresee it being an issue. Okay. Have you ever put an ant clamp on one of the legs or anything in your shop, Jake? Just out of curiosity. I have not. And I kind of don't want to because... I don't know. It's working, so I don't. I don't really want to know. Well, the only reason I ask, only reason I ask, is I did on mine just to see what draw was because I think we're getting gouged by SE Genie. Shocking. And with everything going, my compressor, our server, a couple computers, the Haas, I had the old uh, dinosaur mill running at the same time. I was pulling thirteen amps through one leg. Holy crap! Oh well. So what do you do, what do you do? You just wow. clamp one yeah. of the incoming legs. Yeah. 
Yeah, so you have to do one leg for the with the Harbor Freight one, which is what I have. Um, you just have to do one leg at a time. I'm sure oh, other oh, oh so we, we know that this 13 amps is a 150% accurate measurement. <laughs> it's actually, I, can, I confirmed tools. it. I confirmed it based on looking at spindle loads and doing a little math. It's pretty close. So it's so 13 it amps, like, plus or minus 13 amps. Yeah, plus or minus at least 50%. But it, now, it actually stands to reason, because if you look at Haas's spec, they spec, like for a VF2, it's 70 amps, right? Or 75, something like that. But that's at 200% spindle load and 100% servo load in all three axes at the same time. Which like, is you physically cut on a Haas, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't get there because it'll chatter first. All right, there you go. <laughs> so when you're clamping, you're clamping your three phase, right? Because you have three phase coming in. Yes, I don't have a phase converter or a generator anymore. Thank goodness. So where would I, if I wanted to check that, where would I <laughs> yeah. clamp my outcome out of my? Um, just around converter? one of the incoming legs of the shop. You don't even have to do it at the phase converter. Just do it at your panel. Just grab one of the legs coming into the shop. Because okay, you've so got two legs, right? You know, you're you're. Your two yeah. powers. Yeah. So right. So I just have single phase coming in. So two legs coming in. Right. Yeah, and I, I mean, Jake, I can send you. I've got a a nice fluke multimeter. That's I think it was only like a hundred and ten bucks or something. That's got a clamp meter built in. I got right, mine. Send for me six. the just send me the link for that. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll send you a link. All right. Cool. <laughs> Um, all right. And then the and next, you got to remember though, too, Jake, that'll be roughly double whatever your shop draw is, right? Because the phase converter, the way, it, the way it all works, you basically need double the capacity before the phase converter versus after. Right. Right. Yep. So Makes sense. keep that in mind. All right. The next one was for all of us and it was what size surface plates and related inspection equipment do each of us have? And then the best sub $500 inspection purchase. So who wants Ooh, to go first? I'll go first, I guess. I've got two surface plates. One of them is like a 12 by 18 little guy, like benchtop one. And then I ended up, I had a Brown and Sharp Microval CMM that the computer ended up dying on it. And Brown and Sharp wanted, I think, $12,000 yep. for Holy a new shit. computer. Well, so it's a full said, PCDMIS retrofit because they don't support anything but PCDMIS now. It's complete yeah. bullshit yeah it was and so i i just kind of was like well I, I wonder what i'll get from the scrapyard for this aluminum casting is what i i decided instead of spending twelve and a half thousand dollars so i took the plate off of that and ended up welding up a little stand for that so that's probably a 24 by 36 plate but the real reason i wanted that one uh was it's got the tapped holes in it like the the oh. threaded inserts so I can, kind of stuff. yeah, so I should be able to make some like really cool, like accessories for the plate. I've got a, I want to mount a microscope onto it. Nice. So it's just like a microscope on the surface plate, which should be really convenient and see other inspection equipment. It's got micrometers, pretty much a full set of bore gauges. I just recently completed my pin gauge sets. Finally, I've Up got to what size I've got from 11 thou to three quarter inch in uh one thou increments from vermont um okay. and then so that was one of those purchases that's over time it's uh yeah pretty expensive but it's i i make a lot of holes so it's right really convenient to be able to check those see 
trying to think of, I just got a comparator stand from Mitch Toyo. I've got a bunch of indicators. I've been doing a lot of little grinding projects here in the shop lately. So I figured I'd pick up a comparator stand for that and some upcoming like titanium parts I've got that are, and that way I can kind of just use the comparator stand to really quickly check the, the parts for the dimension. There's like a Z dimension on the parts. And so I'll stick my Mar Millimus in there and then I can just run them across the comparator to quick check them since it's a, a fairly high quantity of parts. Yeah, smart. Sure. Yeah. So surface plates, I have a little 18 by 18 cast iron plate actually, which I I actually really like it. I don't do a ton of like real gnarly inspection because most of the stuff I make is automotive type stuff. And so it's plus or minus a quarter mile. Doesn't look good. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to look good and it's got to fit. Right. And so everything's a loose hole clearance. And the biggest things that I check, like the most important things that I check are hole diameters and like o-ring groove depths and sizes like that's that's like the most important so i got a couple of pretty good depth mics i just picked up so very small aside this guy a friend of mine was dating this woman whose husband died a few years back and she's liquidating all of his stuff and he worked at the naval shipyard here in san diego and bought like everything when they shut down the the, the machine shop got a brand new in the box mitotoyo Jeff, Mike, I think I told you guys in the group chat, like all the anvils still have the, the paper wrapped around them for Mitotoyo. It's never been used. Like the depth mic was still in the plastic. So that that was my sub $500, $500 purchase. Yeah. And I, I mean, like like Easton and the rest of you guys, I mean, gauge pins. I have a full set of inter mics that I got from, from a guy. I'm missing, I think, two out of the set up to four inch, something like that. So I like using those. I, I kind of bounce back and forth between those and pins just for you know, peace of mind, kind of checking, double checking things. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the extent. And then a good set of calipers. You know, it's like 99% of the stuff that I do, that's all I really need. I want to get a, a better surface plate or a bigger surface plate, I should say, and or a manual CMM. But right now with everything going on, it's just, it's not the highest priority. The biggest thing that, the, like I said, the most, the most important thing is that the stuff fits and it works. So a lot of what I'll do um, is I literally make a part. I check the couple of features that I know are important. ODs, depths, diameters of parts, th- or diameters of holes, things like that. And I drop it on the thing that it's getting used on and I bolt it down and make sure it functions. And as long as it functions and I know the Haas can repeat within the tolerance that it's made to. So it's, it's fine. Yeah. Awesome. Biggest pain in my ass is, is NPT holes. I hate NPT threads. That's because well, you don't have NPT thread gauges. Even if I did, I would still want to punch a baby. I hate freaking NPT threads. Well, so NPT much. threads are not even that bad if you just have. Well, you now have a, a baby you can punch. So. <laughs> I don't want to punch that one. I'll punch someone else's. Well, and I think the biggest issue with NPT threads in automotive is like he could make all his stuff dead nuts perfect, and yep. then half of the manufacturers out there will make NPT yep. threaded like bungs and stuff that like don't fit at all. Or garbage. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So like, and that's what I, so typically what I do just because of that exact thing, I don't, I like, what's the point of having a gauge? It's not going on an airplane because it doesn't like, like you said, it's going to be made. The part that's going into it is either going to come from a hardware store or it's going to be made by some dude in his backyard. So what I do is I literally grab a fitting and I, the spec reads two to four uh, turns by hand. And then I think it's two to four wrenching, something like that. It's in that ballpark. I don't remember off the top of my head, but I check it 
and that's what I do. And I check it for that, and then I go and I'll seal one up and make sure it seals because it's like that's the most important thing is that it threads down and it seals and doesn't rip the threads out when you tighten it. Well, and um, you sell I'm, fittings now too. That I think that's a I change do. since the last time you were. That's right. On yeah. So I'm a dealer for Fregola Performance Systems now, which is kind of cool. The main reason I did it was because I used their stuff in a couple of my, and so, and like a lot of my stuff, so it's boat slash automotive type stuff. And so like water inlets for the boats, water outlets for the boats, they have fittings that go into them, obviously, to get the water in and out. And so being able to offer to a customer both the plate and the fitting makes a big difference. So they don't have to go dick around finding one or something like that. Not everybody wants them, but it's, it's just a convenience thing that I offer for folks. And it gave me much better pricing because otherwise I was buying them from Summit. And like, it's, it's, it's amazing. I don't mark them up fully. It's amazing the markup that is recommended on fitting in Hosen. It's insane. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I only mark them up to the jobber price, which is competitive with Summit, basically. Awesome. So. All right, Jake, take it away. What inspection stuff right. do you have? All right, before I list my inspection stuff, I just want to note, looking at uh, the three of you on your videos, the backgrounds kind of all fit your personalities. You got Dylan, who's like, he's got a mature background. He's got ukuleles and guitars and plants, <laughs> and it, it looks serene. You got Easton with a completely white background, which matches his personality very serious sins just <laughs> talk the facts and then you got drew's background it's just a complete clusterfuck <laughs> drew's There's, background when when drew said earlier that he wants starlink so that he can he can go into his motor home i was like are you in the motor home now there's filing cabinets there's shit hanging on the wall i don't know what that chest is right behind you. it looks like my kid spray painted it i don't know what's going on there <laughs> it's that's a funny. it's a uh knack box or whatever you call it a job that's box. the job site chest because yep. drew is like into heavy construction and owns like five excavators <laughs> and that's where we store like all the dead body parts. Side okay. and next to the baby of course Easton, yes, can you at least get yeah, one of those yeah. fake backgrounds up that like makes you look like you're somewhere? <laughs> See, the problem is, is like there there is a bunch of interesting backgrounds in the in my office right now. They're just none of them are facing my desk. Yeah, it's, well, I'll say how, all of this is my wife. None of this is I, me doing anything yeah, that, good. That makes sense. I mean, it looks very nice and put together. So I figured it was probably your wife's doing, but. Still, it's just like yes. the backgrounds. And then you got me over here. You yeah, can't even seen, have video because I shop. live in. <laughs> Anyways. You live you live with Brett Flintstone. But I will say in, in the antithesis of Dylan, this is all me. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. You got camo for <laughs> that wasn't obvious. <laughs> Anyways, so my so, surface plate. Inspection I equipment. have a yeah, so I have a twenty-four by thirty-six granite plate with a Minotoyo like digital height stand on it. And I use it fairly frequently. Um, not a ton. The, uh, the granite plate becomes a very good table most of the time and gets filled up with shit. Other <laughs> inspections. If anyone so I like who's, to use... you know, ISO certify us is listening. It's definitely not a table. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So Don't put your coffee cup on it. <laughs> I also like to use functional gauges as much as possible. Quick checks. So I use a lot of gauge block buildups for go, no go gauges, pin checks for go, no go razor components that have a male thread and a female thread. I use a lot of thread gauges. And that would probably be my most used inspection equipment other than just your standard calipers and 
I got a nice set of zero to one mics and then I have a full set of mics as well. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, razor parts don't need to be dead nuts, but I do a lot of other job shop stuff that requires a little bit tighter inspection. And so. You've got that optical comparator too, right? Oh, I do. Yeah, I do have a comparator. I forgot about that. It's like hidden back behind the Mazak, but maybe that's my best purchase under $500 because I paid $20 for it and it's great. Yeah, I mean, so, I need- we just got to make sure we rub it in for, for Drew and Dylan who both need and want comparators. Yeah, that's next on yeah, my list. 100%. I will say I need to retrofit mine with DROs. I have the DROs and everything. I just haven't put them on there yet because right now it's just got like a little micrometer dial but i use it for radius checks and i can print some overlays and stuff stick them up there but yeah it's super handy yeah i've got my my nikon is it's got the digital midgetoyo heads on it because it's only got like two inches of working area it's like the cross between a toolmaker's microscope and an optical comparator so i definitely i want a bigger one and then I also want a toolmaker's microscope now that I've got the Swiss. Um, some of the stuff mm. I've done on there already would be a little bit easier to check on the like on a small toolmaker's microscope kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it, optical comparators are just such an underrated like measuring. They're some of my favorite, like for sure. It's great right. for like, diagnosing why stuff doesn't fit or doesn't work i did that a lot in my old job oh yeah something that just didn't work like what the hell's going on i will say i don't like them for production work though right for one i know it like perryman my day job we tried to not put stuff on the comparator because it's very hard to pass a gauge r and r on a comparator to where you can reduce inspection then so because it's very it's it's up to the operator's eye a lot of times so yeah we tend to not put stuff well we put too much on comparators really, but they are good for, you know, small runs and then reverse engineering they're great. And then just like low quantity runs, yeah. but yeah, for production, I try to keep, keep stuff off the comparator if possible. Yeah. I would what agree. I, what I sure. try and do is like, if it's a radius or something that I'm checking on it, uh, I'll check it like a few times as I'm setting up on the comparator and then I'll use a, and I'll compare it to like a, a radius gauge. And then from there, I will sit there and just check it with a radius gauge at the machine. And then every couple hundred parts or whatever, I'll go back and check it on the comparator again. That way I'm not really relying on it for production type thing. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. So surface plate wise, I also have a small like 12 by 18 pink stare at one that probably is not in calibration anymore. And then <laughs> last year we bought a 36 by 48 monster surface plate from some guy Jesus. in town who was moving across the country and didn't want to take, you know, a thousand pounds worth of granite with him. So eight inch thick ones or whatever. Yeah. And he built the whole stand himself like, and based, you know, all the vessel points on all the formulas and stuff. I think he was a, like an aircraft refitter. So like he really knew how to weld and, and do sheet metal and all that stuff so it looks really like i thought it was a oem stand and he was like oh no i built this thing like here's this and this and this and like if you want new casters here's the part numbers blah 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 i was like oh great cool and then as far as the other inspection equipment we have pin gauges we've got a bowers bore mic set from 375 to two inches a manual height master a digital height gauge 
a manual CMM and just odds and ends, you know, mics up to six inches, depth mic, all that stuff. And then the best $500 I think you can spend is like good micrometers. The best $500 I have spent was the $100 we spent on our digit or our manual CMM. And like, yeah. <laughs> granted, gr granted, all said and done, it probably was like a thousand dollars all put together. But yeah, that was, you know, kind of hard to beat. But like, I, I would say, you know, if you're, if you already have pin sets, like having a good zero to one and one to two mic, like a get a, like a nice quantum mic or something, like those are invaluable. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I, I think you're not going to go too wrong with 500 bucks, just buying some like good inspection equipment to get started unless you're buying something really specialized. Like I wouldn't spend that money on like a, uh, a tri-point bore mic because right. they're, unless you, unless you're only making something with that size. I mean, th that's a really specialized measuring tool, right. even with like you, you get better money out of a uh, two good pin sets is 500 bucks kind of thing or. Yeah. or something like that but it's i think i either i i would argue probably the the best 500 dollars you can spend is a good zero to one like micrometer like a quantum mic or if you if you don't like digital just get like a really nice manual mic kind of or a vernier mic and then in addition to that just a really nice either or a really nice like five tenths indicator and like a, a one tenth indicator I mean, there's pretty much nothing you can't measure with just an indicator by itself. Yeah, I've been loving the 50 millionth indicator that I got. I got one of those brown and sharps. I use that for like everything now. Yeah. It's so nice. And it was 200 bucks, something like that, 250. So I would add to that a good set of digital calipers. I Yeah. It's funny, like I remember a couple of years ago listening to the podcast and Dylan was talking about his digital calipers and like time saver. I'm like, ah, oh, you're nuts. I can. I can read my dial one just as fast. No, that's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a, I've had a set for a while now, and I'm like, yeah, I need another set. <laughs> yeah. Like I have my dial ones, I have my vernier, I have like a, a couple of like super long vernier ones, twelve and twenty four inch and whatnot for doing other stuff that I don't use very often. But like the ones that I grab all the time are the Toyos because it's it, it saves it just saves you the, the thinking, right? Like you said, Dylan. Yeah. So that one, well, if you like, are pretty. Go for it, Jake. Sorry. All right. I will say I have Mitotoyo dials that I I also have a set of Mitotoyo digitals, but my dials are the carbide tip ones. So I use those if I need to scribe lines or anything like that, which is definitely helpful. Yep. They seem to, to Again, last. if anyone, if any like certifications are listening, Jake doesn't scribe any lines with his calipers. <laughs> I'm just talking I'll about never the center a of single line with calipers. Need to center a piece of stock on a vice or something. I just grab a quick line. Yeah. So the only calipers I have are digital Minotoyos with the carbide faces, and like I know I've I've seen a lot of hate for people scribing lines with them, but it's like, like I'm not. I, I would never put on a, like an AS ninety one hundred report like oh I use calipers for this. Like there's I have a million yeah. other ways <laughs> to check things, so like I have no problem using my calipers to do whatever. Like they are my super accurate tape measure is how I consider tape like right. calipers, you know, like if it's yep. plus or minus five, maybe I'll use calipers plus or minus 10. Yeah, for sure. I'll use calipers, but like, you know, the, I love the carbide face for the same reason Jake said, like, I love being able to scribe the center of a part and just center my probe over it and call that like, 
X, Y, zero, and then just probe for Z or something. Like it's, there's a lot of great ways to use that. Yep. For sure. And it's, it's one of those things too. It's just having calipers in a couple different sizes will, will really let you like check a lot of things. I'm going to make Jake a little bit mad here, but I get at that auction that was for those citizen lathes. I did end up picking up two things at that auction. They had a, a brand new Royal Quick Grip Collet Chuck. It was like a QG65. It was still like in the box. It someone had pulled like the VCI paper off, so there's like one rust spot on it. But it's it's a brand new dead length chuck and uh, a pair of like 24 inch calipers, and I picked both up for 650 bucks. Jeez. I really hate you. <laughs> <laughs> on That's the opposite nuts. side of that spectrum. I bought two Kurt vices from a from an auction for two hundred bucks. <laughs> I hate you for still buying Kurt vices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the fact that I mean, I, honestly, we well, I said, opposite we, end of the spectrum. Yes. If we're if we're going if we're going full in on and just making fun of Drew, Drew looks like Drew already said the motorhome. He looks like somebody who would also use Kurt vices. Yeah. In the bridge, that's me. And, and that is full offense meant to anyone listening who uses Kurt Vices. <laughs> yeah, I don't so think I'm that's definitely a lot of love trying here. to. I'm definitely trying to figure out like what my next work holding is going to be. I've gone back and forth numerous times. Like I don't know. If, I don't know if I, I think I told all you guys I've got the Flex Vices. I really like the Flex Vices. They're just a little bit too small for like eighty percent of what I do, which is unfortunate. But I really like everything else about them like it's really cool if it was two inches bigger it'd be like sweet i've looked into chick i know jake you've got a lot of the chick work holding stuff it's really good but at the same time for a lot of the stuff i do i don't know that it i don't know that it makes sense because like the cost of soft jaws and whatnot for me i make i'll make 30 parts and then i'll make i won't make those same 30 parts again for a year and so like it doesn't make sense to have a $200 pair of soft jaws. It makes sense to have a $12 pair of soft jaws and I throw them in the, in the scrap bin when I'm done. And so like, there's definitely room for improvement. I just, I just have not found anything that I'm truly in love with. I use the Saunders yeah. vices for like op ones cause they're low profile and they're okay. But the op two stuff, I have not found a good solution. Can you at least yet. put carve smart jaws, master jaws on your Kurt vices and then at least use the carve smart soft jaws? So I was looking into that and I, I, I did some math on that and I know there's, it, it can be cheaper over the long run, but what I've been buying are the, the double-sided jaws from us shop tools and they're like $16 a pair and yeah, I can but like, twice. Have you done a stopwatch of how long it takes you to change them? I was going to say, yeah, well, I use a, I use a battery powered impact and it takes me like a minute to change them. Have you ever tried so to jaws on in the right spot? Reinstalling. Oh yeah, absolutely. And they're trash. You can't do, you can't use them twice, but I don't, but that's the thing is I don't really do that. And so that's, that's where I've been struggling to try and figure out what makes the most sense is because like literally 90% of what I am doing is like a one-time thing. There's a few things that aren't, but the, the reorder times have been, basically what I've been doing for the last year and a half is developing nothing but new products, whether that's for me or someone else. And so, and, but all these products were doing like 30 to 50 part parts. And then we won't make them again for a year or a year and a half. And so having to recut a set of jaws once a year isn't that big of a deal. So that's a, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I totally agree. I think there's way better work holding out there. I just don't know what the, I don't know what's going to fit the best yet. Those, uh, M lock vices are pretty interesting too. They are. 
I think the only thing that would worry me about getting one is that he's in Romania. So like if you need right. replacement parts, I don't know how long they right. would take. But like I really like the the size of some of his newer ones, like the one hundred and the one fifty. Yep, agreed. So, for I'm, sure. I've, so now I've that, those a lot. So. Now that we're talking about new work holding, a great place to look at and discover new work holding is IMTS. So should we talk about are yeah. you guys going? Yes. When are you going? Should we tell all those people to go? Yeah, I'm gone. I'm going I'm, Sunday through I'm Thursday, gone. I think. Yep. That's that's what I'm doing as well. Have you guys booked tickets and everything yet? I have a hotel. I don't have I'm waiting for airline. I'm hoping for like a deal. Like I've got uh, a few websites looking for deals for tickets. Don't I've got a, tickets uh, let me know. We got a, oh my god. Oh, sorry. I'm going. Dylan, can you send a message with what hotel you're staying at? Yeah, uh, I will. I, I hope there's some still rooms left, but it was a decent deal. It's I can't remember what it's called, but I'll send you the message. But it's like a 900 square foot apartment hotel. Like all of the rooms oh. are like 900 or 1,000 square feet. And it's, it's the same size as your shop. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's harsh. Yeah, <laughs> harsh but true. That's true. You're not wrong. Well, I'm Brad and I are sharing a room, so it'll be nice to have a little bit more room. But like, we'll have a kitchen and all that stuff, which is is nice. And last time we had a Airbnb, but it was not as close to the show as I'd hoped. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to having. I think we're just north of the Cormac Center this time. Yeah, I, I ended up booking a uh, Airbnb, and and actually, sorry, I didn't do any work. I just <laughs> simply mooched off of. Uh, Juan over at Jack's Precision, he was just like, hey, I got one spot left in my Airbnb. Anyone want it? I was like, yeah, uh, sign me up. Yeah, you got so lucky that they were just like, hey, you want to do this? You're like, yep, can do. I mean, it's it's IMTS is just, it's, it's a nice thing for me where it, it's a two and a half hour drive for me. And if I had to, I could, I could do that. Like, the, the day of, I could just drive down kind of thing. And then if I only wanted to go for one day or whatever, but. Right. What about yeah, you? We're, we're planning on going. I just don't have, we haven't booked anything yet. So yeah, send me that hotel you're staying at. That'd be interesting. But it'll likely be me and Sarah and the baby. So this will be uh, an experience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, well, I'll definitely plan a like within tolerance meetup and we can yeah. all get together and listeners can come by past guests all that stuff and we can just hang out it'll be a lot of fun oh boy it'll be uh it'll be good though it's 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 gonna be just good to kind of catch up with people and and i don't think i don't think i've ever met jake in person i've definitely not met drew in person so it'll be cool to kind of meet some of you guys in in person and just kind of hang out and imts 2018 was a, a blast and it was a yeah. lot of fun getting to just hang out and chat with people. And it's, it's just like the it, it, people who, people who like making fun of like Comic-Con and, and all of those things and saying they're like huge nerd fests. You, you have no idea how, how much of a nerd <laughs> fest this becomes. Like, yeah. It, yeah. it's just a different kind of nerd. And for some reason, this is, it's socially acceptable to want to cut metal. Right. Uh, or whatever. It's, well, it's, and, and for anybody who hasn't gone before, I would highly recommend going for more than like a day or two. Like I would say yeah. three days minimum because you spent like it's a 
what a million square feet of vendor space in McCormick. And you spend the first day, day and a half, just like in awe of everything. And then you you like by the second or third day, you're like, okay, now I've got a game plan of like where I want to go back to and actually learn something and make contacts and all that stuff. I do have to say it's, it's Jake is apparently raising his hand. I didn't even know that was a feature. I don't want to interrupt and I'm lagging. So I figured I'd raise my hand, but I I agree with Dylan. Like, like last time, I was with Perryman and we were researching new five axis machines. So we were there for like a day and a half and the entire day and a half, we were meeting with certain people and looking at certain machines. And I didn't even get to go to like the quality wing or the tooling really. So I'm looking forward to this year spending a solid three days and actually get to explore the place and kind of relax and not have to run from meeting to meeting. Yeah. The place I, I, I always forget to go that I'm going to make sure to go this year is uh, part cleaning and deburring. Like I always just gloss over that. And then I get home and like, I'm like, oh man, I wish I had a, something like cool to deburr this feature. And I'm like, well, had I gotten to that wing, I'd probably know all the cool new tools or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Trade shows are kind of a funky thing. We went to SEMA. I'm a SEMA member. And so we went to SEMA this last November for the first time. And like, I've been to a bunch of manufacturing trade shows just because of my day job. And like you said, you need, depending on which one it is, West Tech, you can do that in like 45 minutes because it's kind of useless. But like some of the bigger trade shows, you need like two or three days to see everything. And, and it was cool. Like SEMA was the same way. You run, you like, you run through everything for first day and like, okay, I want to go back there, go back there, go back there, and then kind of go back through and make your contacts and whatnot. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it just comes a, down to like you get to a booth and if it's, if you really get into a good conversation with a good person at the booth, you can spend yeah. upwards of an hour just yeah. at one booth. So it's, it's, sure. I think IMTS 2018, I was really looking at, at like some, that was when I kind of started looking into Swiss lathes and, and Mianos and things like that. It was, I think I spent two and a half hours at just the like Marubini Citizen Syncom booth. It was like, it's just, you, you get just the time sucked out of your day kind of thing. And it's right. So planning for those is, is really important. And something I've kind of been doing ahead of time this year is like, as a, a little bit more of a quote unquote, like serious business owner now is I'm trying to like start making connections with salespeople now before the show so that I, I know who I'm going to be talking to at the show and I can kind of avoid just like starting a whole conversation and having to explain my shop and everything, what I yeah. do and everything to somebody. If I can kind of get that nailed down on the booths that I really want to go to this year, that's kind of my, my goal. Yeah. What I have always found too, like I, I'm sure you found this too being younger, but like it's very rare that somebody takes me super seriously unless I like dress it up. And so I could tell the companies I want to work with right off the bat by who like actually pays attention to me versus who just like yeah. completely blows me off. Like DMG, yeah. I don't think I've ever talked to a person in their booth because they just like, oh, that guy's in a suit. I'm going to go talk to him instead of this kid. You know? Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's, I, I, especially with the machines I'm kind of planning to look at this year, they're bigger price tag items. And so I need to make sure that the people I'm talking to know that I'm actually serious about spending that kind of money before I, I show up. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to get blown off when I want, cause what, what I want to do is I don't want to just hear the tech specs of the machine. Like that's not, that's not why I'm at the trade show. I want to, I want them to let me poke at the control and, and like 
see the actual insides of the machine, like show me some of the more detailed features. Cause I think this year I'm I'm really looking at probably shopping for a a mill turn. And so just make sure it's a Doosan, right, Jake? Yeah. No, buy a Doosan. They're great. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's the 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 competition side of Jake trying to like sabotage me right there. Yeah. You buy that juice on Milter and I'll open a uh, machine service tech company and I'll take Jake's like, forget razors. I'm just servicing Easton's broken juice on. See, the trick is I'm going to get a a Nakamura Milter and then I'm not going to ever call methods ever again. And I'm just going (laughs) to call my buddy Norman and I'm going to make him do everything for free. There you go. Yeah. Be like, I'll pay you in food and beer because that's what service guys love to hear. Yeah, exactly. Favorite thing. Uh, I'll keep <laughs> the I'll keep the Norman donation bucket, which is a thing in my shop. I'll keep that one fully stocked. <laughs> Instead of petty cash, you just have the Norman bucket. So one day I'm I'm sitting here, like he he's he dropped by either to pick something up or use a machine or something or help me with something, and he looks into the, the like scrap bin, and he just goes, "What the fuck is this?" And it's just like a bunch of just remnants from some job I was running. They're all like, I don't know, four or five inches long. He's like, why are you throwing these out? Like, cause they're useless. He's like, not to me. And he starts <laughs> and he grabs a five gallon bucket and a Sharpie and writes Norman donation bucket on it and puts it next to the scrap bin. That's funny. And, That's and then awesome. just starts throwing the remnants from the scrap bin back into, into the bucket. So now I just keep it stocked. It's like That's if funny. it's if there's he, he's established rules at this point or it's it's got to be over three inches long if it's under an inch diameter or <laughs> blah, 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 blah. He just needs to make one of those like play school, you know, round peg and a round hole kind of things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like if it fits in here, I want it. You got to get my parts done too. I know those are the most important thing in your shop right now. Yeah, they by far. I've By got far the, the highest priority. Your parts, I think, are going on the S700, and then I've got nice. other parts going on the F600. Do Drew's nice. parts really like require the Speedio, or can they just be made on like the TC? They're long enough length of cut that I want the dual contact because it's like a, a two-inch sidewall or something like that. It's not so. those stupid Tie Fighter looking things that he's trying to get us to make, is it? No, 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 no I avoided that. I gave him the easy parts. I no quoted those after Drew <laughs> kept going like yeah, me too. deep down the rabbit hole on those. I'm still going to make those. I just got to figure out better fixturing for them. I have an idea, actually. I, I think I can make them. In, it's going to be multiple setups, though. They're just going to be a pain in the ass. You know, this is just like, this is a good time to mention Drew is the inspiration for a mill turn, actually. I made these parts for Drew like a couple months ago. And I'm thinking to myself, man, these are not that hard, but these would be like, 15 times easier on a mill turn mill turn were those little pins with the angled hole yep yeah that's where i was yeah. like i really want the b-axis right now to be able to pop yep. this hole in yep. i really want a mill turn too oh so yeah i can see a mill turn in my future so speaking of like stuff like that where you have a part and you're like oh i gotta get something so the whole reason i ended up buying the lang stuff was because these parts that i'm doing right now i was like oh i probably need to do these on the fourth and then i realized that like what I wanted to do with the orange ZPS was not going to work how I thought it was going to. And so I was like, okay, I need to get laying. 
So I bought all this stuff, bought a fifth axis dovetail, fixture to mount on the Lang, dovetail a few parts, tried it out. Just does not work at all for what I was trying to do. Like and it's it's just too long of a extension from the fifth axis yeah. thing. So I spent all this time and money getting this whole plan enacted, and then now I'm doing it a three axis op and a four axis op on a fixture, and it's like just so frustrating that like I spent all this time trying to like tool up the fourth axis, and now it's like, oh, I'm not even going to really use it. Yeah, it's 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 frustrating when you like your plan A doesn't work, and you spent so much time just like stressing out and like you're sitting there trying to fall asleep at night planning out like how you're going to do this. And then it just immediately fails. Like within five minutes of trying it, you, it fails. You're like, okay, well got to completely change gears. And all of that time I just did was completely wasted. Yeah. I had that exact thing happened yesterday. Oh. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm on plan number three for this and I think it's going to work, but we'll see later today or tomorrow. I had one of those uh, like jobs yesterday, so I'm I'm making this part. It's got to have like a, I think it's an eight times diameter half inch or 0.503 hole. So it's very uncommon to find a 0.503 drill. So I can't just drill it. So I was planning to ream it, but because it's a blind hole during this op and it's eight times diameter, I was like, it's going to pack full of chips. So I, I tried some other things. The reamer chipped out on the first part because of chip packing the center of the hole is it's shaped like a uh, concave roller on the inside where like the it's bowed out in the center of the hole and either end is still oversized but even in the center it's even more oversized and then like i i realized like it's it's one of those things where you're like you're about to sell something and then it, it immediately knows that you're about to sell it and becomes valuable at the last second so that you don't sell it. It's like it has it knows, <laughs> which was I, I have a, a son in home and I was like I don't use this thing. I've used it once in the last year. I'm going to get rid of it. It's just taking up space in my shop. And then yesterday I'm like okay, well, guess I can't sell it because I need it for these parts. But I'm glad you were able to get it working because I know I think when I asked you about that, you're like, oh, I don't think I have the right hone to go deep enough. So I don't, but I'm using the sun and hone in a really sketchy way. I'm, I'm putting a, I made an adapter to stick a flex hone in it. Nice. So I'm not actually using the, the actual nice function of the hone, which is the foot pedal. I'm just using the fact that it's a rigidly mounted spindle with flood oil. So I can just sit there and use a flex hone and flex hone out the ID to size kind of thing. What are you starting with like a 500 drill and then go on the last three or what are you doing? So we'll find out today. This is the, (laughs) the, the plan is yesterday I made one good part. And the way I did that was I got, it turns out I can pack drill the 500 hole and get a like 505 tenths diameter all the way down the four inch bore like very consistent. So it's like from there, I was able to hone it to two thou larger to be right inside tolerance. It took about 10 minutes to hone the part. So that means it's going to add about 10 hours of cycle time that was unplanned for these, which means I'm just kind of, I'm sitting here just eating it on this job, but that's fine. It's the the ultimate thing is making the customer happy. But the, my, my new plan is I think 
with a 501 reamer, I can probably hand ream one thou off the I or half a thou off the ID. So that brings me to 501 consistent coming off the lathe kind of thing, or or coming off the lathe, run the reamer through by hand with like a, a spiral flute reamer kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I can hone the last like one thou out with a one one to one and a half to two thou out with the flex hone kind of thing. It's, How many of these do you have to make? Sixty. That's not Gross. horrible. That's not great either. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, it's. I mean, thankfully, I, I quoted fairly high on this job, but it's just one of those like it's one of those jobs where you quote it, you get the purchase order. And then it comes time to make the part and you look at the print again. You're like, who quoted this job? Yeah. You <laughs> so you're just like, who, did I not look at this print? Yeah. Like, but it's one of those things where it's like, clearly I did look at the print because if I look at the price per part, it's much higher than I think I normally would have gone if I like, if the tolerances were much looser. Right. But so I clearly did look at the tolerances, but just, it must've been one of those days where you're just like kind of feeling a little arrogant and you're just like, yeah, that's no problem. Four inch deep, plus or minus one thou hole. Totally fine. Easy. Oh, Just boy. ask the engineers at my old job. That's easy. <laughs> and make sure it's in waspable way, though. Right. That's, you know, square corners on every pocket. And, yep. Yep. Oh, boy. Jake's Jake's over here like, what's wrong with wa- uh, waspable oil? Right. Yeah. <laughs> that That's what's my aluminum? bread and butter. Jake's like, Jake's like what is aluminum? Heard of it. Yeah. I'm, oh, speaking of which, these knobs that I'm making on the uh, Sugami are aluminum. Screw you guys and your aluminum that you can tools last forever and ever and ever and ever <laughs> and ever. I ran like 10 parts and I'm like checking the tools. I'm like, ah, they should be all right, I think. Now I'm like thousand parts in. It's the same set of tools. So I'm not even worried about it. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I changed tools nice. because they start making a finish that's not perfect. Not because yes. they're like broken or worn. Yeah. <laughs> no. Or yeah, they start making was, a little more noise than I like. Yeah. Don and I were literally just talking about this the other night that I, I kind of hate the fact that all aluminum tools perform the same. It's just super frustrating because it's like I've been through so many different vendors. Like I, I, I hate to be like that old curmudgeon. Like I just want one vendor. Like I don't, I don't want to uh, shop around for tooling. Like I just want like, for aluminum tools, this is who I buy from. For steel tools, this is who I buy from. Or like, I have a spreadsheet that's like, this is the tool to buy if you have this job. Right. Like, you need a quarter inch end mill. You want to cut aluminum. Here's where you, here's a link to buy the tool. And like right. in aluminum, it's so hard to do because all of the tools perform totally fine, and all of them are going to work completely fine. And you could just stock your tool library with that. But each one has like some minor, tiny little like thing that just is frustrating. Yeah. And it's like locking that down in steel. Like I have a A insert for turning 303 or 300 series stainless. This is the insert to use. If I'm turning like steel, this is the insert. It's like it's pretty easy when you like. And I bet in, they're in all in scars. You cut out there, but I'm I'm pretty sure you were just trying to push yeah, your agenda I, of Walter. No, I said I bet they're all Iskar too. How much money do you get paid by the Walter salesman? <laughs> <laughs> Free overnight shipping, man. Not enough. I'd, 
I'd use Gar if it was free overnight shipping. Hey, I I, I, I wouldn't been... use garbage if you paid me. <laughs> <laughs> the first shop I worked in, that was like all of the end mills that we used were Gar. Like he really really yeah. liked them, and I he he also was like a big fan of two flute for like everything. And no. then I remember like towards the end of my stay there. I like convinced their purchaser to buy me one of their like higher performance three flute lines. I'm like, oh, this is so much significantly better. Great. Okay. We're going to go <laughs> with this. Yeah. They yeah. used a lot of dark at my old shop, our old place I worked in. Uh, every, every time I bought a guard tool, cause Western has them in stock and it's like, I can't get what I want, but you have this. I always regret it. It's like never performs at all anywhere near what the other tools do. Like, oh, this is terrible. It's getting me by, but I hate it. Yeah. But their VRX line isn't terrible for like stainlesses and stuff. Is that right? But their their aluminum tools I just haven't found to be anything special. And they're like no. fairly expensive for what they are. They are. They are. The thing that's been frustrating for me tooling wise recently is I think I told you guys is MA Ford. Like I love MA Ford tools for aluminum. I've not had any issues up until recently. I think they're I heard they switched carbide manufacturers or something i heard something about that their their stock is not the same and like i had a half inch end mill brand new had like 20 minutes of runtime shear off of the collet with Yikes. same feet and speed that the previous one and the, it, like nothing had changed the previous one lasted 30 some odd hours and this one at five or 25 minutes or whatever sheared off of the collet the quarter inch ones i've had this issue with but the half that was a new one it was like it was running fine and all of a sudden you hear this thunk the hell was that? Oof. And and it literally it was like just a straight cut right at the collet. Did like, it damage the collet too? Because that's my favorite no, type look, of break where you're like, oh great, so it's a yep. thirty dollar collet and the tool. This is a good day. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No, luckily it didn't break. It didn't damage the collet. That was the quarter inch the other day though. It that broke. Did the same thing. Sheared off. Damaged the part and the collet. I'm like, cool. This is awesome. You know. But yeah, so I'm I'm actually gonna try helical for the quarters because. I'm getting tired of them breaking within their specs. They're like their provided specs, like on the safe end. I'm getting tired of them just shearing off of the collet after an hour or two or whatever, and just randomly. So it's getting kind of annoying. And this is just aluminum, just an aluminum. Yeah, it's nothing special. It's their three flute. The, no the one the last time I've broken a quarter inch unmill was right. Like it's I don't know I don't know what the deal is, and and I run them within their specs on the safer end, and they just off. Did I tell you so, guys about so. breaking all of those 316 cent mills? No. I think uh, you maybe told me, but I don't. So Not me. I, I, I finally figured out, I think, what it, what is happening. But so I, I pushed my 316 cent mills pretty hard. Like that's what I usually use to cut all soft jaws because it makes a small enough dog ear that like I can, I still get good retention of the part, but I can, you know, relieve for sharp corners and things like that. And all of a sudden, I just started breaking like three sixteenths after three sixteenths. And I was like, what the hell? Like, it's the same speeds and feeds I've always used, same tool manufacturer, like different lots of the tool, too. I checked like the batch number. And then I realized, oh, I just started torquing my ER collets, like with a torque wrench to the appropriate torque value. And it's way less, apparently, than what I used to use on the ER collets. So I just have uh, way less retention and was just ripping these things out of the, the collets over and over I and cracked over. an ER nut the other day. Oh, really? Jeez. I, I've like, so I've argued about this before, but 
I, I use a lot of the M style holders just because I like the better coolant access, smaller mm -hmm. nose diameter kind of thing. So most of my holders are M style nuts. And I used to deal with people cracking nuts every other day at my last job. And I was like, I've never had one crack on me until the other day I was drilling with like a through spindle coolant drill. And I was like noticing this like pattern of coolant getting flung outside <laughs> of the like, like yeah. out on the periphery of the nut. And I was like, huh. And, and it was one of those things where I had the drill sticking out, like half of the shank was in the collet. Right. It was way longer stick out than it was supposed to be. And I'm like, I, it kind of look like I and I'm assuming like, oh, it's got to be just like not sealed properly around the shank. And that's where that's coming from. But I'm like, it looks like it's coming up from higher up on the nut. I'm like, but there's no way the nut is cracked and it's still drilling like a straight hole. Like, I think I was drilling like a three inch deep hole in 4143 yard with like Jeez. a eight millimeter drill. <laughs> and I'm like, there's no way it's still drilling a straight hole with a cracked nut. So it can't be that. And then I go to take the tool apart and the nut falls into two pieces as I loosen the collet. <laughs> I'm like, huh? Wow. I don't know how that worked. Lucky. Yeah. I'd rather be lucky than good. <laughs> yeah. I, I cracked a nut like six or eight months ago, something like that. And I had like just barely rubbed it on a part, like maybe four thou into the part. I was like, oh shoot. And so like, I, you know, I, I've, Went to the next, like it didn't break the tool, didn't like barely marred up the the nut. I went you to barely go rubbed your nut on a part. tool later in the week. Yeah, yeah, that's the the mark of quality. Don't uh <laughs> <laughs> shipped the part. Still, it was totally good. Yeah, that's that's the you know the, the badge of quality. That's, but that's how you tell. Thou, and as long as the the rubbed mark from the collar nut is less than twenty thou, the part's still on spot. <laughs> No, That's it, how it was you, my uh, scrap part. part be bird, right? You rub your nuts on the part. That's yeah. how you tell it's properly. Right, yeah. If I go home without blood, it's a, it's a good part. So I, so I went to go change that tool later in the week because it was still cutting and it cut all the soft jaws and it cut all the parts fine. Went to go change it later in the week and like started loosening. I was like, this feels super weird. And like took it apart, put it back together with a new tool, started tightening it down. And I was like, this is something is wrong here. And like took it back apart and actually found, finally found like a hairline crack down through yeah. the, the full collet. And I was like, all right, well, that's why I have extra collet nuts, you know? Yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Which I would highly recommend anybody who runs their own shop have like a backup, at least one backup of all your common ER nut sizes. For sure. It's, I had also backup holders is also not a bad idea. I had, uh, when we're talking about like earlier with the collets, like marking them up on the inside, mm -hmm. I had the, the most wild experience I've ever had with like quote unquote crashing or whatever the machine was I was roughing with a destiny diamondback and I'm using feeds and speeds from Dylan that are like ratio modified for my spindle RPM. So <laughs> Dylan runs his destiny diamondback at whatever, like 200 and something inches a minute at like 10,000 RPM. So if you translate that up to 16,000, it's about, uh, 390 inches a minute or something like that. <laughs> and theoretically, according to like Destiny's website, that should be totally kosher. Yeah, and it's like fairly mild on there. Like I think they recommend up to a 12,000 chip per tooth or something like that. Yeah, and it's like and it, it was working great for months. 
And then I had a part that was like a one inch length of cut. So I was finally using like the full recipe at that. And I don't remember what I was thinking, but the diamond back was in an ER 20 M holder. Oh my God. <laughs> my like, and then my finishers in the side lock. <laughs> so it should have been like in the, in the opposite yeah. like way. And yeah. the, I, I'm like roughing the part and the tool rips straight out of the nut. The nut welds to the collet, the collet welds to the holder. <laughs> Holy crap. And the end mill didn't chip or break. Wow. Yeah, so nuts. I took the end mill out threw the holder in the strap bin and put the end mill in a shrink fit. And then it lasted me until like two weeks ago. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Drew, you might want to try the Vipers too. If you're, yeah. If you're trying to replace the MAs, I think they're more expensive than the Fords, but they're okay. like fairly close to you and okay. good, good stuff. Like it's, okay. they're, they're diamond back. The, the, you know, roughers are like almost impossible to kill and their Vipers are pretty damn good. Okay. Yeah, the other one that I've been actually super impressed with recently, I have a, a three-quarter inch LMT Andrid, or however you pronounce that, a rougher, mm -hmm. aluminum rougher. Dude, I that I did all those flywheel covers with it, and I still use it it's in a shrink. And I don't know, I've probably made a thousand pounds of chips with that tool, and it still hauls ass and runs strong. Like, it's just, it's gnarly. Yeah. It's really cool. And I've run it hard, like really hard. That Eagle Claw rougher that I got from... uh carbide cutting tools is the same way like I, I put it in a shrink when i got it and it has just been running and running and running like yeah. i just slotted i don't know how many you know feet of heat sink with it i do right. all my roughing with it like it just takes a beating and it's right. no problem yeah i've yeah, been this one I... impressed with Go it ahead. too Yeah, I was just going to say this one, I run it at, it's a three quarter, I run it like 8,100 RPM. I think it's, it was 380 inches a minute with a 225 step over and an inch and a quarter length of cut. And it just freaking chews through it. No problem. So it's, I've been super impressed. So I, I have a, a quick aside that I think we all probably got to wrap up in a minute, but I have a quick aside. So you're talking, you're talking about the best $500 you've ever spent on, on inspection tools, the best $500 you could spend. Mm -hmm. I have the worst possible investment I've ever made in my life this past year ish. So Perfect. I got the, no, is those are, uh, those are actually better. Surprisingly. It's that sweatshirt. <laughs> no, I got this several years ago and I got, I got Tony's old lathe, right? And I got, got that thing all set up and running. Well, before that I bought that gigantic manual lathe that was, free right oh free yeah free Ethan and i have talked about this free is never free especially with machine tools we got it in here it was working fine on an ex on a, a rubber extension cord and we got it in the shop got it all wired up like it's supposed to and went to hit forward on the spindle and it blew the motor up and that machine that free machine you know that cost me like 6500 bucks all said oh. and done i granted i put a dro on it too so that was a good portion of it but the motor and everything it was like like, man, I should have just, like, I don't know, done something else. Like, I was debating buying a newer machine, like buying a brand new machine. And I was like, I should have just done that because for 10 grand, you can get, for as much as I use it, a Grizzly with nice, air quotes, Grizzly, right? The, for $10,000. I was like, I would have been money ahead at this point. But, you know, so live and learn, right? 
Yeah. Shameless plug. If anyone I'm listening wants to sell me a Bridgeport, I'm in the market for one. Why? Because I want a manual mill for one. I don't want to use the Speedio for something. Drew's probably got one yeah, in that room he's sitting in. <laughs> I do have it's a manual probably, mill. It's but you probably don't want in the toolbox, it, but you don't want it because I don't want it. <laughs> I, no, I don't want. I don't want your manual mill. I, no. I want like a series like two bridge fort. Just get a good drill press that's got a reversing head. Because I have a really fall. nice drill press. Do you? I I think I've told that story before on this podcast when I knocked it over the forklift and had to buy it. But <coughs> yeah, it's uh it's a really nice drill press slash welding table now. Oh my god. <laughs> Slash welding table. Because it's like an eight foot long Blanchard ground cast iron table. Oh shit. Jeez. So. That's gnarly. Hey, before we wrap yeah, up, that's I got the a one quick... thing I want is a nice steel press. Yep. Before we wrap up, I got a quick plug. <clears throat> Dylan, I think I mentioned him maybe in the chat, but uh, guy's name's Brian Kippen. It's CAD Models on Instagram, K A D M O D E L S. So. Anyways, he has two shops. He started a shop. Uh, he has one in California and one in Vermont. And uh, the reason I mentioned this is we were just up on a ski trip in Vermont, and I reached out to him, and he gave us a shop tour of his, his place in Vermont. And so he's really nice dude, real interesting dude, does some awesome work for some very big-name customers, and I won't say who they are because I don't know if he would want me to. But uh, so between the two shops, he has nine total employees, he has Trinity Automation with the Fanuc robots on his UMCs. He's just got a brand new Matsura 5-axis that he's putting Trinity Automation on up in Vermont. So he runs a lot of lights out, but it's all high mix, low volume. Most of his part runs are like five. So they'll prove them out during the day and then let them run overnight. He's using paperless parts, so he's, he's a good source for information on that. So I think he'd be a real interesting guest to, to have on the podcast. Like I said, he's a, he's a good dude. He's more than happy to, to share. So figure reach out to him and, and get him on because I, I think it'd be a pretty good story. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to. I've been meaning to. I think the last time I thought of it was when he was doing his big move. And I was like, well, this is probably not the uh, best time to reach out. But yeah, I love that. Like his, I, I can't remember which shop has it, but he's got that robot arm that's painted like a dragon or something. Like, it yeah, looks I think, really, I really think cool. that might be a shop in California. I'm not sure. The robot I saw was just a regular uh, yellow robot. But yeah, yeah I mean, if, if this guy, this guy sounds significantly more qualified to be on this podcast than us clowns. So <laughs> I agree Never with that completely. Me. I think that that's what makes us relatable is that we are the clowns. <laughs> <laughs> are we, are, we're like the antithesis of the old experienced guys. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We are all making. Drew does use dial calipers and sounds like Jake does too. So I guess but... you guys are both old guys. <laughs> well, Jake is definitely old. That This is true. What they haven't like, covered how to read Jake? dial calipers in kindergarten yet. So Easton's not there. <laughs> <laughs> I did I did I have a pair of Vernier calipers now and I like I, I said to Dylan or like one of my group chats I was just like can you guys double check that I'm reading this correctly because it's like I completely forgot to re- how to read Vernier calipers it was so embarrassing I, I was just like I can read a Vernier micrometer any day of the week but as soon as you take that 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 scale and you unwrap it and put it in a straight line 
suddenly my brain just can't read it. <laughs> was that before or after? Well, I, I don't know. That might have been before nap time. So maybe I just yeah, you just my nap. <laughs> You didn't have your snack and your nap yet, so. Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, shit. That's funny. Well, we should probably wrap up. So the real quick Patreon thank yous. We have got Brian Green, Peck Machine Works, Alex Bellringer, Chris Clements, John Wadcoat, and Mike at Hudson made. Thank you guys all for backing the Patreon. I'll make sure that, that Drew gets a headset for next time so that he doesn't sound like he's uh, underwater or screaming at the mic. Maybe and, I'll have uh, Starlink next to- time. Yeah. Yeah, we will definitely have to hope for that. Thank you guys for joining me again. We will definitely have to come back on because I want to pick Jake's brain on ERPs. And actually, both you and Drew got ERPs. And so we got a lot left to talk about. So we'll, we'll schedule another one when we can do it. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thanks, Thanks man. Thanks, guys. Yeah, Thanks. Thanks.